0: Good morning. It's Friday, June 17th. I'm Mark Garrison, in for Shumita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. We now know a lot more about John Eastman, the lawyer advising Trump on overthrowing the election. He created the legal argument Trump used to suggest that Mike Pence could single-handedly overturn the election results. Yesterday, in the third January 6th committee hearing, we heard audio of Pence saying that what the president asked him to do was illegal.
1: I heard this week that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. But
0: president Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more on American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. We also heard a lot yesterday from the vice president's chief counsel, Greg Jacob. He testified that even Eastman himself knew this plan violated the constitution. I said, John, if the vice president did what you were asking him to do, we would lose nine to nothing in the Supreme Court, wouldn't we? Um, and he initially started, well, I think maybe you would lose only seven to two. Um, and after some further discussion, acknowledged, well, yeah, you're right. We would lose nine to nothing. Still, Eastman moved forward, as did Trump, with advocating for this plan. After the January 6th attack, Eastman sought a presidential pardon. Here's House committee member Pete Aguilar. In fact, just a few days later, Dr. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani and requested that he be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. Dr. Eastman's email stated, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list if that is still in the works. Eastman never got his pardon. The committee tried to make the case that his and the president's actions not only broke the law and jeopardized our democracy, but they also put Pence's life in danger. At one point, rioters who stormed the Capitol were within 40 feet of him, and a confidential informant from the Proud Boys told the FBI they would have killed Pence if given a chance. There are a lot of questions about whether the Department of Justice will explore criminal charges as a result of these hearings, and there's some interesting tension playing out right now around that issue. The DOJ says the committee's hindering its criminal investigation by not sharing transcripts of witness interviews. Committee Chair Benny Thompson says the committee will cooperate, but that the DOJ has to be patient. And we know at least one important person was watching yesterday. Attorney General Merrick Garland said earlier in the week that he'd be tuning in. In the backdrop of the January 6th hearings is the anniversary of the Watergate break-in, 50 years ago today. Five men got caught trying to get into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Eventually, America learned they were part of a much larger effort, secretly backing President Nixon's reelection. Their arrest was the beginning of his downfall and more.
1: Watergate was a constitutional crisis.
0: Dan Baltz is chief correspondent at The Washington Post.
1: I mean, we obviously had never seen anything like it. It, it was the central story of our time, and we were all revolving around it in one way or another.
0: His latest piece focuses on the enduring impact of that central story and how it fundamentally changed the country.
1: I think you have to think of Watergate as part of a several-year moment in American history where we went from a time of idealism and trust to a time of shattered idealism and shattered trust.
0: The numbers back that up. In 1964, more than three-quarters of Americans told pollsters they trusted their government. A decade later... The Vietnam War, assassination of Martin Luther King, and Nixon's resignation, that trust number had fallen to 36%. It has never gotten back to pre Watergate levels. And Balt says one irony of this is Congress, governmental institutions, they basically
1: did their jobs dealing with Watergate. So even if the system worked, the story that was being told was so ugly uh, and so dispiriting that that was the real takeaway that people had, that they could not believe, they could not trust the most senior officials in the government. And that, that I think, has had a lasting impact. Baltz
0: draws a direct line from Richard Nixon to Donald Trump. He says that Trump's presidency can be seen as a culmination of the trends that started around the time of Watergate, from the distrust in institutions to a polarized country. And there have been many parallels drawn between Nixon and Trump's actions.
1: I think one of the things that some of the historians I talked to would say is that Trump learned from Nixon that, in a sense, you can try to get away with almost anything. And if you can get away with it, all the more power to you.
0: Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein owned the Watergate story for The Post all those years ago. They've written an essay with their own take on Nixon and Trump, which you can read on the Apple News app. NBA has a new champion. Here's the moment Golden State took down Boston last night.
1: And that'll do it. It's over. The Golden State Warriors return to a familiar place. They're on top of the NBA world.
0: The, fourth- the Warriors beat the Celtics to win their first title since 2018. They became the first team ever to go from the NBA's worst record to a championship in a three-season span. Here's Apple News Sports Editor Eric Malinowski.
2: They were down 14-2, uh, four minutes into this game. And you're thinking, well, we are definitely heading back to San Francisco for a game seven on Sunday. And then they turned it around. Their defense woke up.
0: From there, they were able to dominate against the younger and very aggressive Celtics. Malinowski wrote the book on the Warriors. It's called Beta Ball. His key takeaway from last night is the most valuable player award winner.
2: The biggest thing that anyone is going to remember is, in fact, the play of Steph Curry. This was, in many ways, a capstone on what is already really a legendary career in the NBA. But there was some narrative around his play and his career and the fact that he had never won an NBA Finals MVP award. And all of those narratives that have semi-plagued him throughout certain stretches of his career, they've all evaporated now. (laughs) They, They simply do not exist.
0: Curry had a huge night with 34 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists.
2: And really, he has really elevated himself into the conversation of quite possibly the greatest point guard to ever play in the NBA. And to be frank, it may be a long time, if ever, before we ever see another player of this level of caliber and influence play in the NBA.
0: You can read ESPN's take on the game along with other highlights and analysis in the Apple News app. Psychologist Lori Santos teaches the most popular course at Yale.
3: The first time I taught the class, which was in 2018, a quarter of the entire Yale student body enrolled in the class, so over a thousand students. We had no classrooms on campus that could fit all these people, so we had to teach the class in a concert hall. Uh, it It was all really surreal.
0: The class teaches people how to be happy, and students say it works. The demand for it led to the creation of a free online version. Millions of people have taken it including someone we know. A little more on that in a bit. A big theme of this class is teaching people what they get wrong about happiness.
3: I think we have this misconception that people are either happy or they're not, but the evidence really suggests that through your behaviors and your mindsets, there are lots of simple things you can do to feel better that we often don't even expect.
0: Santos says many of us want to be happier, but the stuff we think will help generally doesn't do it.
3: After you're earning a middle-class income, earning more money doesn't make you much happier. You know, there's evidence that if you're earning around $75,000, doubling or even quintupling your income won't actually affect your happiness at all. It won't decrease your stress. It won't increase your positive emotion. It just, like, doesn't have the effect, we think.
0: Shumita's taken this class, and this week, while she was away in India, she finished one of the assignments. Oh,
2: Shumita, it's oh, so so beautiful. beautiful. It's so it beautiful. So Thank you
0: so much. Thank you so much. You really, really love you. I love you so much, too. Both of you. There's a lot more to that scene. You can hear it, along with Shumita's whole conversation with Lori Santos, on this weekend's episode of In Conversation. Just search for Apple News In Conversation in the Apple News app or the Podcasts app. Enjoy that weekend listen. And as for this show, we're off Monday to mark Juneteenth. Shumita is back with us on Tuesday.